Hello, welcome to T Hanks for the Memories, a podcast about Tom Hanks. Uh, I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Big, uh, which on the poster it asked, have you ever had a big secret? And it's like, oh, okay, what's this about? Um, and what it was about was a little boy turning into a big man. And that big man was played, of course, by Tom Hanks, getting top billing here. I mean, big top billing, like Tom Hanks right across the poster, Tom Hanks' face all over the poster. This, I mean, this is all about Tom Hanks. It was a gigantic box office success. It made more than 100 million, I think, for the first time in Tom Hanks' career. And joining me to talk about today, I have hey, Ollie Brady. Hello, I'm, Ollie. I'm just uh, confused by your your response to, have you ever had a big secret? And you're like, ooh, what's this about? I'm thinking, little mini Ollie Brady. I'm not that much bigger now, but little mini Ollie Brady wasn't thinking, ooh, what is this about? And also joining me is Eric Hiltner. Hello, Eric. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, what's funny is I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and basically they said that, like, they had difficulty kind of coming up with a tagline that summed up what the film was about. And they could, like, like they spent months trying to figure out how to market this film without giving away the twist. And so that that kind of tagline of, like, you know, have you ever had, like, you know, a secret, that was, like, they they, they were like, that's it. That's all we've got to say. You know, just put Tom Hanks' face on the poster and then just put about like oh the you know just to get to get people to come in and see it um i think by the time i saw it for the first time it was on rental so i, I think i was fully aware of the premise but you know for the theatrical release you know they did a good job cuz they made <laughs> tons of money you know um this is this is the re- this is like up until this point tom, you know tom had had like he'd had hits you know he had splash you know bachelor party um you know uh volunteers kind of made a bit of money uh money pit you know, I mean, he then kind of had, I mean, nothing in common, I think, did OK. Um, and every time we say goodbye was not a huge hit. Um, and then Dragnet the year before. I was going to say, could you come up yeah. with a, a better tagline there? I, don't, I mean, I don't think I could because it like, you know, it's just it's been like that's part of the film for like this, you know, 30 something years now, isn't it? Like you just kind of without giving away what the premise of the film is, it's very hard to kind of come up with a tagline that just that doesn't tell you too much about the film. Um, I don't know if you had the same poster yeah and the tagline of be careful what you wish for yeah. I guess yeah because yeah. like it, it's it's not giving it away it's a good premise and it's not like have you ever had a big secret oh it's just really big secret so I should have double checked on my poster but on the on the DVD it even has the same tagline that's how big the tagline is it, that's how successful it is they put it on the actual DVD <laughs> There's no reviews. There's no nothing. Just the tagline: Tom Hanks's gigantic head and the word "big" in gi- in huge red letters. Like, oh, I just think you know they can go something really simple and just say Tom Hanks is big, and that would probably have been enough. I like it. Yeah. How tall is Tom Hanks? Uh, I don't know, but there is, of course, you can always check that out on celebrityheights.com or something. There's like a website. Yeah, I love those websites. I want to say he's like six one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, the the thing is, with you know, for most of his career, he's been fairly gangly. So, I guess it's hard to. He's roughly the same height as Shelley Long, and she's, she seems fairly tall. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel <laughs> I like love if there was a, in comparison to Shelley Long um, height comparison website. <laughs> yeah. He's one point two Shelley Long's height. That feels tall. about right, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to say he's six foot, six foot tall. 
Well, see, the problem with this is, Darren, because yes. I'm not sure how tall you are. I learned some secrets about you today that I'm not sure if I'll <laughs> ever be able to, to look at you again. But uh, as a man who's only five foot seven, I've met Eric in person. And Eric is... That is my height as well. Literal Just... giant. <laughs> well, how big is <laughs> this, Eric? This photograph, this still... I'm... Yeah, Eric is six I'm five. six five and three quarters. Nearly six six. Oh, man, you're like... You're like 1.7 Shelly Longs. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's so funny. Uh, there, there are photographs of myself and Eric standing beside each other. And if not for the fact that I look like I should be his dad in age-wise, <laughs> it's just, it, it looks like a man walking his kid. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone ever asked me, I always say I'm the same height as Bruce Lee. Because he was also 5'7". <laughs> so that works out. Oh, so not 0.95 Shelley Longs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, the. I mean, I it's it's hard. I mean, I don't feel like we need to explain to people the, like, the premise of this film because it was such a big success. And it wasn't just like a big success at the cinema where it made, you know, more than 100 million. But then, you know, it just rented like crazy. Like people, you know, just love this film. Um, and, you know, it obviously kind of entered into the zeitgeist. Um, I mean, especially Zoltar, which we'll get into, you know, as as we talk about the film. And, you know, it, the, the thing is as well, it like had, you know, uh, a kind of a, a pedigree with the fact that it's being produced by James L. Brooks, who, you know, it's you know, a super producer. I think at this point he's going to mm-hmm. I don't I mean, I don't know if he's going to outlive the Simpsons or the Simpsons is going to outlive him. I think it's probably the Simpsons going to outlive him <laughs> at this point. Um, so it was like, you know, like he it was produced by Gracie Films, uh, which, of course, everybody knows their logo because it's been on 700 episodes of Simpsons, um, you know, written by Gary Ross, who would later you know be a director of note himself, um, who was the son of um, Arthur A. Ross. So, you know, Hollywood royalty and co-written by Anne Spielberg, who is who you think she is, um, you know, Stephen's sister. Again, <laughs> kind of, you know, Hollywood royalty, um, just like so many kind of people were involved with this. Penny Marshall, of course, the director, um, you know, uh, Gary, Gary Marshall directed Nothing in Common. So this might be the he Tom Hanks might be one of the few people to have been directed by um, them as brothers and sisters. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like just so much kind of like just coming into it. And even the director of photography is Barry Sonnefeld. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> you know, I just like every like every name associated with this film is like just huge. Um, you know, Robert Greenhut is also like the kind of co-producer along with um, along with James L. Brooks. And he's produced like tons of films. He You know, he's basically Mike Nichols producer. So he did like Working Girl the same year as this. So, you know, and also he would later on produce um, A League of Their Own um, and also Renaissance Man. Uh, for Penny Marshall, but I'm not going to be talking about Renaissance Man because Tom Hanks is not in that film, so um, that would betray the premise. <laughs> it's also of this. not a particularly good movie, Darren. No, well, yeah, uh, but you know that. Well, I, I mean, if, if good movies movie? is the I like yes, movie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, Mar- Eric, I can't. It's like and Marky Mark, oh, I think as well. It's just something about him. I think Did you said Marky Mark. Yeah, I think Renaissance yeah. Man is that. Am I confusing it with something else? Yeah, early early no, I, I just could, didn't remember he was in it. Like, I mean, now I need to go back and watch it like, <laughs> while while I'm starting my uh, marks for the memories podcast <laughs> in the future. I know. I think you should. I think you would call that on your marks. That would be the. 
That would be oh, yeah. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what I do. Come up with punny titles for podcasts. Um, so, of course, um, you know, Tom was nominated. I think this is the first time he's nominated for an award for the Academy Award for Best Actor, uh, which I, you know, I think he thoroughly deserved. And also this got Best Original Screenplay as well. Uh, as only a nomination. It didn't win. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, from a budget of 18 million, they made 151.7 million. And that is... That is nineteen eighty eight dollars. So obviously today that would be like I don't know half a billion, two billion. It'd be a lot. Um, and yeah, so it's just you know, Darren, just a just just to bring. I didn't realize Barry Sonnefeld was a, a cinematographer. Um, oh yeah. So I looked him up there, and just just imagine this is your run, right? So you you do throw Mama from the train or Mama from the train, <laughs> right? Which is terrible. And then you go into Big When Harry Met Sally, Miller's Crossing, and Misery. <laughs> like those are your next four movies after Throw Mama from the Train. Throw, throw, like, talk about a step up in quality. Throw Mama from the Train is a is a fun film, and Ramsey's great in that. She's she's very funny. Maybe it's you just, guys love your Danny DeVito movies. I, I mean, I watched it a lot when I was a kid. My, I think my mom was like just a big fan of Anne Ramsey being angry and shouty. <laughs> so. Um, so we watched that a lot. Now he started with the Coens with Blood Simple. That was his first, you know, well, second film. But you know, uh, you know, he was close. He was. He also did Raising Arizona. I think Raising Arizona was what yeah. got him the, the gig for this as well. Um, yeah, and of course, um, you know, uh, speaking of Raising Arizona, John Goodman was cast in Punchline because of Raising Arizona. I can't say I see how that happened, but you did. Yeah, and then obviously. <laughs> After that, Barry Sonnenfeld went on to be a director, uh, directing, of course, Men in Black and Men in Black mm-hmm. 2 and Men in Black 3. Um, and I remember I remember him for um, the film Big Trouble not coming out because it featured um, something to do with something exploding. And it was scheduled to be released September 18th, 2001. <laughs> and so it got delayed slightly. Did he... Uh, did he... He directed because I've closed it down. Now. He directed a movie which, for people on our side of the pond, was called the Concierge, and people in America was called for Love or Money. Yes. Um, with Michael J. Fox, and there's no, I don't understand why, why it would be changed to go from jurisdiction. Like for Love or Money makes sense in any part of the world. Well, there might have already been a movie with that title that had been out. Mm, maybe that's true. Uh, and also, I should mention before we go off the subject of Barry Sonnenfeld, he did Wild Wild West. So, is that <laughs> he did the Wiki Wild Wild West? He did. Yes. I've never seen that movie. Uh, I have previously. You've ne- I have previously seen Wild Wild West. I've never seen Wild Wild West. Though I did talk about what the song the guys? when I did my Stevie Wonder podcast because obviously uh, it sampled the Stevie Wonder song. Stevie Wonder performed it. Yeah. <laughs> He did. No, no. He, the, the, there's, there is like a, there's an award show where he, like halfway through, Stevie Wonder comes out on a piano performing it while Will Smith is doing like the Wild Wild West rap thing. So God, that's, well, that is, I, I'm, I'm actually sad hearing that. <laughs> you should look it up. I think it's like so how have you guys movie? seen, yeah. How he, have well, you this guys is seen it. Renaissance Man throw Hammer from the train? And not the cinematic masterpiece of Wild Wild West. I'm fairly certain I saw Renaissance Man in the theaters. No, oh, yes. no way, Eric. I did. So you were the one. I I did. I didn't see Throw Mama in the cinemas. I, that was just that was again that was another rental, much like Big, which gets us back to our subject, which is this film. And uh, yeah, so he won the Golden Globe, although 
you know, he didn't win the Oscar, which I think he should have done. I mean, it's a great performance. Um, and this was the first film... Who, who did win the Oscar that year, Derek? In 1988. Without looking, I would say probably going to be, um, at a guess, uh, probably Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man, I think. I was going to say, is it Dustin Hoffman I think for, it might for be. Rain Man? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to look it up because we've already taken a few diversions here. Let's try and stay on the tracks. And I'm, uh, I'm throwing this mama from the train. <laughs> so that's my plan. Uh, the film is the first film ever to make 100 million directed by a woman, uh, which feels like it. I mean, you know, films were making 100 million fair. Like it was a rare occurrence, actually, you know, up until like 1996. And then, you know, every year, tons of films started making 100 million. Um, so that's quite an achievement to do that in 1988. And also, you know, uh, to be directed by a woman. Um, although, of course, worth pointing out that like both the screenwriters and the director fall into that thing of having someone in their family who also has a Wikipedia entry. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's not like some kind of scrappy people managed to get this made. This is, you know, a big kind of Hollywood production. Um, and, you know, as we go through the film, we'll get to the cast because, again, as, as well as the talent behind the screen, the people on screen, this is an amazing cast, not just Tom Hanks. Obviously, Tom Hanks is the one getting the face on the poster, but, like, everybody in this film is, you know, is is a joy. Um, but, you know, uh, let's get into the film, which is about a boy um, called Josh, and he has a best friend, and um, I like how this film opens with basically, like, a... It's almost like a montage, but you can kind of... You know, the music is quite loud, but you can still kind of hear the kids talking. And, you know, we kind of get, uh, you know, the David Moscow uh, as the young Joss, just kind of like, you know, interacting with his best friend, um, who I think is Billy. Is that Billy, his best mm-hmm. friend? Um, yeah. What yeah. did uh, what did David Moscow go on to do as a, in his career? He went, he went on to originate In the Heights, which is insane. As well in as- the Heights, the Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yes. Musical? That's crazy. Yeah. He he workshopped it with his then partner, Kerry Washington. What? Two... <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. In my notes, I did put in the Heights exclamation point because I knew that this would bring some attention. Um, yeah, the two of them worked on it with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, getting it onto uh, Broadway. Um, they They basically were like, they co-developed and co-produced it. Uh, which is insane. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Um, although I'm sure everybody else will remember him more, uh, particularly for Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, uh, where he played, I don't know, Duncan or Jack, one of them. Um, and then after, after, after like a season, I think Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, much like two guys, two girls and a pizza place or whatever the hell that one was, uh, shortens its title to just Zoe dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Uh, they really kind of like, they were like, mm, we don't really care that much about Duncan, Jack and Jane. Um, he played Duncan, by the way. And that, that, that show starred Selma Blair as Zoe and Michael Rosenbaum was Jack. So that's too, like... I, I've never heard of this show. You've never heard of this? It could, I mean, I mostly watched it because Azura Sky was on it. Um, and she... I can't remember what she was in, but she I think she was in like one episode of Buffy where she was like pretty good. Um, and then yeah. she was like on this and I was like, oh, you know, that's interesting. Um, and Eric, you you were shaking your head. You've never, never no, seen it. No, I've never heard of it. 
Well, there when you go. That's where David Moscow ended up. Uh, 99 to 2000. Oh, 99 2000. I thought you said 1990 no. to 2000. <laughs> no. I was going 10 years. <laughs> no, it only did two seasons. It did like 26 episodes. And uh, yeah, then so, it was... and would you say it's worth checking out? Not to derail too much, like. But... No, I wouldn't say it is worth checking out. But you know, Selma Blair's Selma Blair's pretty good in it. You know, she's quite fun. Michael Rosenbaum isn't playing, you know, Lex Luthor, which I think literally Lex that was, Luthor, yeah. That was cancelled, and then literally like the next year he started doing Smallville, and then obviously was stuck on that for like a decade. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you know, he also did Newsies a couple of years after, which you know is now a cult hit. Um, but obviously also featured Christian Bale. And then after that, he's done like a, a series of like smaller films. Although notably, he did return to work with Penny Marshall on Riding in Cars with Boys. But, you know, I, I think he's great in this film. He does. He really establishes like the character of like young Josh Baskin in these first kind of like, you know, 10 minutes. Um, you know, and yeah. the kind of closeness. I think Billy's, of... Billy's the heart of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, his his friend is kind of like the one who who will drive things kind of, you know, as we get a little bit further in. Um, played by Jared Rushton. And they do, a, they do a great job of making him look like uh, an extra from The Sopranos at various points. <laughs> he just has this this real Newark vibe to him. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, Jared Rushton kind of stopped acting in like 2000. He was also in Overboard, I remember. I mean, I rented that like crazy as well. And obviously he was also in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I actually did see at the cinema. Um, oh, so he had a run, here. you know. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's a substantial... And then he did, like, a load of TV. Uh, you know, after after Pet Cemetery 2, he didn't really... Um, <laughs> he didn't really act anymore. Uh, so he was kind of, you know, like a child star. But he's really good in this. And, you know, the kind of chemistry between him and David Moscow at the start obviously kind of carries over once Tom Hanks arrives. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I'd like, I do enjoy this kind of establishing scene. You know, they're talking about like uh, that kind of kid who's got like the extremely beautiful sister. And, you know, they're like <laughs> looking at trading cards, uh, playing a bit of baseball, just the two of them. Um, and then, you know, obviously they've got walkie talkies, which I'm sure, um, I'm, I mean, I don't know how you fellas felt about it, but at the time, as soon as you, I mean, you know, any kid of that age is like, I want walkie talkies. But then it's like, who do you give the other walkie talkie to so that you can talk to each other? And of course, you can only talk to that yeah. one person. So it's a bit limiting. But as kids, it's fun and, to kind of, you know, talk to someone who's and not in the same And you see later on that they live next door to each other. So like, <laughs> yeah. that's the only, like your range on a walkie talkie was not large anyway. Like, I remember like head walkie yeah, especially talkies on, as a kid and, and giving one to my best friend who lived four blocks away and just couldn't reach that distance at all and <laughs> you know and, and the question the thing i always question when i see walkie talkies in kids rooms and movies is like do they just keep them on all the time is there a certain time they turn them on how quickly are they going through these batteries yeah that's that's a very good question it's like are you just sitting there on the off chance that somebody goes, come in, it's me, I'm here. And like, if you fall asleep and lie on yeah. it, does your friend have to listen to you breathing for the entire <laughs> night? That Eric, would... just a, a quick question. They're, at the beginning, they're not playing baseball, they're playing yeah. stickball, right? Now, I only know the existence of stickball through Billy Joel songs. <laughs> Did you ever play stickball? Um... Not really in like the New York 
Burroughs sense of it where, you know, you've only got, you know, a, a street to play in. I mean, we, we'd play, you know, home run derby or things like that and parking lots. And, um, I mean, as a kid, you were just kind of making up games, keep yourself occupied, but yeah, never, never like a full on like broom stick, stick ball. <laughs> Because that's the way the movie ends is with him explaining how, oh no, you're good at stickball. You'd be good at baseball. The baseball bat, it's not that much different. You're like, yeah, of course it's not that much different. It's you're just swinging a bigger stick. I mean, I, honestly, baseball would be easier. It's got a, you know a thicker bat. And as we get to the end of this kind of opening credits thing, we see you know uh, the home life of the two boys, except um, only if you watch the extended edition. Which uh, on DVD I think is called the Family Fun Edition, although I'm not sure what is fun about 40 minutes of cutscenes. Um, you know that is stretching the definition. In the in the cutscenes there is a um, I don't know it, it kind of makes it makes Billy's home life seem like really terrible, <laughs> and um, you know his mother is just like kind of sitting at the table you know the dinner table angry and talking about how you know she does everything around here and she, you know she's going to walk out on them and but it seems like billy's the one doing the cooking she's not actually doing the cooking and stuff so yeah. and i i don't know what i can understand why they cut that scene because it doesn't really i mean it makes billy seem sympathetic but it doesn't really help the rest of the plot in terms of getting to tom hanks becoming you know the main character which i feel is the is Everything in this film is basically trying to get to that as quickly as possible. Uh, I, it was also just really strange to see that many people like packed in around a kitchen dining room table. You know, still, he had like five or six siblings, and his mom and dad and him all having to sit there at that table, all crushed in. I don't know if there'd be enough food to go yeah. around. Looks like he seats two, and <laughs> and they're all trying to fit around it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also a, there's also a scene that was cut, which is they're moving the in in the Baskin household. They're moving the baby's crib into Josh's room, and he's not happy about mm -hmm. it. Um, which doesn't make any sense because in the film, immediately like they cut that out. But then literally on the night after they go to the fairground, uh, they take like the kid starts crying, so they take the kid back out of his room and into the into the other room anyway. So it's like. It immediately undermines that. So I can see why they cut that scene out because it's kind of pointless. Um, but yeah, so and now something we've kind of, you know, we're, we're now at, I would say, is um, the the kind of important, um, the thing I think most people remember from this, which is the computer game. Um, mm -hmm. The kind of te text-based computer game, which, by the way, is not real. Uh, it was made exclusively for this oh, film. No. I know, I know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Josh is trying to figure out how to... Melt the wizard, I think, is the is the thing that he's looking to do, and he keeps doing suggestions, and obviously none of them work. Um, and I think if any of, I mean, I don't know if you fellas ever played like any of those kind of text based adventure games when you were younger, um, and they no. were extremely frustrating because nothing was ever obvious, and you would keep putting in commands <laughs> to do stuff, and it would never ever work, and then it would be something really obscure, and then you'd be like, how was I ever meant to figure that out? Um, and the answer probably was, you know... Is this like a Monkey Island and things like that? Or, or... Stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but this... I mean, these were mostly just like... It would load a single screen and then there would be like, you know... Just text at the bottom would be the only kind of thing... That kind of um, was on the screen after that that kind of changed. 
and then you know maybe an animation as it finished whatever you were doing on that screen and then moved on to the next one. And, and if I'm not mistaken, so, he's playing yeah. this game before he has to go to school, right? Yeah, he's playing it all the time apparently because he's trying. You know, he he he, he get, keeps getting stuck on this one thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is before he goes to school, um, and and then obviously, um, you know, uh, like once once we once we see all the, I think after that it's like, you know, there's kind of talk of the fact that the fair's in town. And obviously the whole family is going to be going to the fair. Um, and then we get to the fair pretty quickly. Um, and obviously this is where kind of the, you know, the the main kind of uh, premise of the film happens. Um, uh, and it, of course it's, it's all because of, uh, you know, bullying, basically. <laughs> uh, Josh, jo- I like how Josh kind of joins the queue with Cynthia as well. That's a little bit, he kind of like... <laughs> Um, clears his throat and then Cynthia's like oh here's Josh and then he's just like in the queue um, for this one particular ride uh, and I do like how he pretends that his parents aren't there and Cynthia's like aren't those your parents and they start like waving at him and he's like um, yeah I guess they are like he he plays it off at first and then he has to kind of admit it um, you know I'm sure yeah. and he as- says she asks him has he been on the ride before and he yeah. says he has but we know yeah, he ain't big enough to fit on that ride. No, and obviously when when he gets to the front, the guy kind of stops him and he's like, you know, points out that he's too small to ride the the thing, and that is when he sees the Zoltar machine, fortunately, um, and then kind of walks over to it. Um, and in some of the behind the scenes stuff, they were, you know, they were kind of talking, um, Anne Spielberg and um, you know uh, Gary Ross were kind of talking about how they had this idea. I mean, this script apparently went through dozens and dozens of rewrites and they kind of spent like a year's working on it uh, just to kind of hone it to like the point where they felt that they ha- they had kind of had it. Um, and then, you know, Penny Marshall went and cut 40 minutes of stuff that they filmed. So obviously they still needed to really kind of hone it a bit more. But they said that like the, for the for the Zoltar machine, they didn't like they didn't really want to explain how it worked, which I think is, a, you know, fine. You know, he makes a wish. It comes true. You don't really need the explanation. Um, but they said that the thing that kind of paid it off the most is after he makes the wish, he looks around the back and he sees that it's not even plugged in. Um, and yeah. like straight away, that kind of sells the kind of magical realism of it as like it worked anyway and it's not plugged in. So like instantly there's an extra level of it being kind of mysterious, um, you know, and, I, you know, I thought that was. So his wish is Darren. Very. Yes. He says, I eat. He slaps it and he goes, I wish I was big, right? And we're going to get to this in the next scene, what actually happens to him. But it's a pretty ambiguous wish. Like, (laughs) Zoltar could have have done a lot of things to that lad. Like, he could have woken up the next morning and just been humongously overweight. Like, oh, (laughs) you're still exactly the same height, but now you're 27 stone, right? Which in American is 350 pounds, something (laughs) like that, right? So, like... That, that, that technically he's big right they could have just increased everything about his dimensions without changing his weight in any way so he's just like a, a thin paper man what, what's the name of the, the paper guy in america eric like uh is it flat stanley? stanley flat stanley flat stanley yeah. like they could have flat stanley them <laughs> and he was like a really tall paper child like it's just it's it's really weirdly ambiguous as to what he says and then the other thing about the zoltar machine is does everybody who manages to like smack the crap out of that machine and put like 50 cent into it get their wish granted i actually came across this old time machine eric you saw a yeah, machine? I've, yeah i've used one 
in uh, I was in St. Louis at the City Museum, which if you ever go to St. Louis, go to that. It's a really unique place. But they have this level. It's got a whole bunch of old, you know, just our arcade machines, not necessarily video games. And it was like a buck. Um, and, you know, the mouth is moving, and you slide the little thing, and uh, it just pops out of fortune. You don't really make a wish, but it was cool. I, I was trying to find the card. I don't know where it went, but I've used it. So, Eric, how old are you? Uh, well... Are you, are you one of those bigs? <laughs> like, is that what you're telling us? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually uh, yeah. 14. <laughs> well, after, well, after the film was successful, obviously they licensed like the Zoltar thing and people started making some Zoltar machines. Um, and obviously Eric has encountered one. But yeah, uh, it, is a, it is a very vague wish. But I think, you know, uh, like the fact it that Zoltar kind of... Yeah, he's like, oh, I've got an idea of what this kid wants. Um, you know, and it's, you know, not, not to be like a couple of inches big if he wants to really be big. So, you know, let's do that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, you know, the kind of the whole thing with the Zoltar machine of like the kind of the breathing and the kind of, you know, him lining up the coin and everything. I mean, it's just such a wonderfully shot scene. Like it's just so kind of atmospheric and it's just, you know, the fairground and, and everything is kind of in the background and it's kind of just this dark corner um and you know i think david moscow really kind of sells like the frustration of of being like you know this kid who you know obviously other kids are kind of taller than him or whatever and you know he he's kind of i can understand why he's just like you know it, i mean the machine i think kind of makes itself known to him um but obviously you know it, i don't know i, I think it's just a, a nice little performance from him and you know this is going to be the last we're going to see of him in the film. So, um, <laughs> but I think he's he's established the character so well, and kind of the interactions with him and Billy that you kind of you know you you instantly get a feel for who the character is. Um, and I should say that all the all the scenes for the rest of the film featuring Tom Hanks, they they did a run through first, and David Moscow would just be on set and he would he would play the scene how he would play it, and then Tom Hanks imitated that. So. Um, which you know recalls so all the scenes Darren almost all the scenes there's one scene obviously <laughs> I think he might have been on set but obviously they didn't run it through but yeah so to get the kind of reaction of how you know the, the you know a child would react to the situations coming up they basically had David Moscow kind of just come on set and do some you know do a bit of acting with Tom Hanks and then Tom Hanks would just basically go on set and kind of copy what he did uh, which really well, that makes that makes perfect sense because Hanks yeah. does a wonderful mm-hmm. job of playing a fourteen-year-old trapped in a big body. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, we get some. We get a thunderstorm uh, because that's how magic works. And uh, this <laughs> this wakes the baby, who then gets taken out of the room. Um, the younger sister, who we'll see humorously the next morning, and then you know we kind of cut to the next morning and. A lot of, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of Tom Hanks, or I wouldn't be doing this podcast. But I just love this kind of like him, him playing David Moscow as a, a person realizing that they're now a fully grown adult. It's just so kind of like him putting on the clothes and like falling over, and then going into the bathroom and kind of like seeing himself in the mirror and then like kind of just laughing and then wiping again, thinking and like coming to the realization like of what he is is it's so funny to me like the way he plays it he's just 
um, you know, it's obvious to see why he got a nomination because it's just such a wonderful kind of performance, um, you know. And I like as well that, you know, when Mercedes Rule calls up to him and says, you know, bring your sister down, he like puts her in like a, a little kind of uh, car type thing and just pushes her quickly as so he can run out of the, the house without having to see his mom. Uh, so I, I kind of like that. Uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, he, he did a hell of a job. And it's, you know, believable that he's very confused and frantic as to how to react to this. And it's just kind of funny. He goes to try and find his dad's clothes. And I, if I was a kid like that, I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have thought that. Um, yeah, I think he does a, He does a great job. Um, I, I think it's funny that at the beginning, his first thought is, I'm going to jump on my bike and cycle down to where the Zoltar machine was, <laughs> yeah. which makes sense. Like, So he, he instinctively knew where what had happened. And I suppose like if you wake up and suddenly you're in a fully grown adult's body, maybe that wish you made at like 12 o'clock the night before might be fresh in your mind. But I love the fact that at that point, he's like, I can't let my mom see me. I'm going to throw my dad's clothes and I'm going to cycle down. It's what happens after he gets to, the, to where the fairground was and the Zoltar machine was gone. He just goes back home. Yeah, yeah. As if... Yeah. <laughs> and I love this as well. I love that, like, he forgets so quickly. And then when he goes home, like, he obviously walks in and he, like, you know, scares Mercedes Rule because she doesn't know who he is. But he thinks she's, like, kind of... Like, when she's kind of, like... She kind of take, has a sharp intake of breath and stuff. And he's thinking, oh, well, there, I didn't wipe my feet. And he goes back out. And Tom Hanks does this nice little kind of like, he does it like a dance on the spot to clean his, his shoes. Yeah. And it's like such a great little detail that like both he's forgotten that he's big, but also, you know, like he instinctively just goes back home. And then when he forgets to clean his shoes, he's like, oh, we're there a second. Sorry. Yeah, obviously, you know. And then when he goes in, then obviously Mercedes Bulls kind of starts screaming and shouting and throwing things at him. Because then he's obviously reminded at that point. Oh yeah, I'm. I look like a fully grown adult, and of course he tries. He tries to commit. I mean, he he does this. I think three times in the film, and two times he fails. Um, you know, obviously he he fails here because he's trying to convince her that you know he's Josh, and he starts giving like details. Um, and I like when he he does the thing where he goes like, "I made you this," and then he he accidentally breaks it, and it's like like picking up like a little ornament thing and it's like because obviously he's again this is like the physicality you know which tom hanks is obviously is kind of known for at this particular point in time and he like obviously doesn't know his own strength because he's now an adult so he picks something up as he would a child and he ends up breaking it because he he doesn't realize um, and i just think that's like a great kind of i also like the fact that like he he just cannot convince her like it doesn't matter what he says and he and the, the thing is the, the fact that he goes i've got a birthmark here and he, he like exposes his buttocks to her and, and she's like screaming even like not realizing he's not realizing that he, now he's an adult like this is this does not all of this is like you know seems odd to her and you know she kind of escalates it and then this is where he figures out obviously the only person he needs to kind of talk to and convince is billy um and yeah. then with that with that last scene yeah and uh I'm not sure if it's ever happened to any of you guys, but as a kid watching that, I used to think she's so like she reacts so weird. Like as a child watching it, I used to think, and even as a a younger man, like in my early twenties, for example, I remember looking at it and going, "Oh man, somebody come into my house like that, I'd be straight into action. I'd be, I'd be knock, I'd knock the crap out of them, right?" And then there recently, I was just sitting. So I, I'm living in in, in house. I mean, you guys can't see. I'm just sitting in the kitchen, but the sitting room's in there and. The entrance into the hall is right at the sitting room entrance. So it's very, 
European thing. I'm not sure if American houses are similar, but Darren, I'm sure you've walked into a house where you're in the living room. On your right, there's an entrance into yeah. a room. The living room yeah. is there. So I was watching the football, and I was doing some sit-ups. So I had like an ab cruncher, and I was down doing some abs, and a random person just walked into my house. <laughs> <laughs> didn't like not even tried the door nothing like this and i had like in fairness i'd left it unlocked right and this guy had been told to go to number two in the set of houses and it's four houses so number two is going to be one of the two in the middle and he'd had a couple of bevies on him <laughs> didn't really take the time to check and see that it says number three and he just opens the door and the second one in the line steps in yeah and he's just standing there and i mean i genuinely froze like i was there what dude this isn't you're in the wrong house and the guy was looking at me like what are you doing here this is jenny's house I was like, this is not jenny's house jenny's house is next door and he went what are you doing at jenny's house and it was just one of those weird situations and now watching how she reacts and the shock on her face and the like almost paralysis of like oh what do i do it's very like she does a fantastic job of saying of showing this is how you'd react if a, a random stranger come in and started acting like that in your gaff so i don't know if you guys have ever like had somebody just walking <laughs> off the street into your eyes but it's it's disturbing i can't say that i have i've kind of been on the other end of that um <laughs> when, oh yeah because you became big well, yeah, I, I was uh, visiting a friend, and we went down to have some drinks kind of downtown, and he had a friend's apartment key that was around the corner from wherever we were we were drinking at. So we go to the friend's apartment, and we're sitting there, grab beers out of the fridge, sitting on their balcony having a cigarette, and in walk two people that we didn't know. And he didn't know. And he's like, oh, yeah, that guy moved like six months ago. And we were like, uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just visiting. I have nothing to do with any of this anyways. But, yeah, that was that was very awkward to be part of. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, before we leave Mercedes Rule, because obviously pretty soon we're going to be, uh, she's only going to be a, a pen pal to her own son. Um, I should say, um, you know, she is great in this film as, you know, the concerned mother. Like, um, you know, in the next scene, obviously, they're going to report him missing and uh, the police are going to turn up. And she she recounts the encounter with uh, with the grown up Josh, not realizing who it is. And she gives like a really good performance. Um, she's particularly great in uh, Fisher King. If you've ever seen Fisher King, she plays uh, like uh, Jeff Bridges um, video store owning girlfriend. Um, after his fall from grace, after he's no longer a radio DJ, um, and she's she's so good in that film. I think she got nominated for an Oscar or won an Oscar um, for best supporting mm. actress. Um, and in this, she's you know she's only briefly in the in the kind of start of the film, um, but you know when it you know after, in a while the film will depart from the seriousness of a missing child and will <laughs> turn into something more fun. Um, but I but she's she's playing it as like the concerned mother who you know whose child has gone missing. Like that is that's the tone she takes and you know it's i think it's you know it's a really good performance um you know the stuff earlier as well with her kind of interacting with him and you know the fairground and everything you know she's just a she's just a great presence um you know and i really like her as an actress um and i think she's she's good in this role and particularly the concern that she you know she has for the fact that her, her you know her son has gone missing and this guy has suddenly turned up in her house 
Uh, yeah, I think she's brilliant in this movie. Yeah. I'm glad I have agreement from both of you. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we could not continue. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, the film obviously is a little bit kind of wish fulfillment. And this is when we start to kind of get towards that, where he goes to convince Billy. And the way he does it is by singing that song that they sing at the beginning, um, uh, which for the life of me, I can never remember all the lyrics, but, you know, they both they both memorized it and they both know it. And so that is the thing that convinces him. I assume that's that's something they made up, Darren, because like that's how Billy recognizes it. It has to be Josh. Like, as do you know what I mean? Like, because Josh, Josh would be the only other person who knows the lyrics to that. I mean, I assume that's what it is. I don't. But I mean, know if, it could be a song. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Eric can enlighten us on whether or not it is part of, um, you know, American childhood that children know this song. I would think they no. know it now because of Big. But, yeah, yeah, no. I, I think I read somewhere that that's something they made up, uh, kind of on the yeah. set. Um, you know, it's not one of those like clapping game things that you know school kids play. Um, it's it, yeah, I I only knew about it from this movie and I don't think it's part of anything else. It's not that it's not that song that um he that Tom Hanks sings in the Money Pit when he's stuck in the hole where he's giving on about Bob Bonner for Banner, that thing. <laughs> it's not it's not yeah, one of those types so. of songs then. Yeah. No. Um and now obviously Billy, you know, he helps him get some money, uh, which I think he steals from his family <laughs> and and get some clothes again, which he steals from his family, I think. Uh, so he's got, you know, a change of clothes and they start to kind of make a plan. But Josh, you know, has been reported missing um, and they kind of talk in like uh, uh, like a tunnel type thing it is, I think. Or I, I it's a weird kind of structure. Um, I think it's behind a couple of kind of drain pipes. Like is it? Is that what it is? I think that's yeah. what it is. And so while they're there, they make plans to kind of figure out, you know, what they should do next. And they decide that they should go to the big city. Uh, so once again, Tom Hanks is back in New York. Uh, he's half his films from the eighties are set in New York. Um, I don't know if we get a shot of the World Trade t- Towers, but, uh, World Trade Center, should I say? Because that has been in previous films. Uh, Mazes and Monsters finished at the top of one of those towers. So um, normally they prominently feature in, in Tom Hanks films. And I like that they kind of they come up with this idea of like we've got to go to New York. Um, we'll rent you a like somewhere in a, a hotel to stay. Um, and I like that they kind of pick the hotel because it's named after, it's like the St. James, isn't it? It's the name of the hotel or something. And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's got to be good because it's named after like a saint, like it's religious. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the worst <laughs> like hotel in the entire, and I think it's funny because this is more uh, like these days, you know, two kids go into the big city, they'd have no problems in New York because obviously it's very safe. But in the eighties, <laughs> like two kids, two <laughs> I mean, unless, of course, their skin was of a certain color, in which case they might run into some problems. Um, but, yeah, it, like two kids in the 80s going to the big city was kind of more of a terrifying prospect. Um, and, you know, so I, I kind of like how, you know, they, they think they think to themselves, where is Zoltar? We're going to have to go to the city to find out. Um, and then they kind of like check into this hotel. And I, I just love kind of, you know, obviously Billy's got to leave. He can't. He can't stay there. Although, you know, given how terrible his family is, I would, I personally would prefer to stay in this motel. Um, and so he decides to go back home and he leaves, um, you know, uh, Josh by himself. And Tom Hanks does some wonderful kind of like acting where he's like kind of obviously, you know, kind of locks the door and kind of crouches against the wall and is trying to kind of stay safe in this 
you know well, I'll be honest with you Darren in that yeah. hotel I'd be doing the same it's terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean, I remember just a twelve-year-old in him being terrified of that scene as a kid, thinking like, "God, I hope I never have to stay in a hotel room by myself," because obviously it's just going to be murders and everything else going on right outside my window. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do. They they actually kind of not in this scene, but obviously in a later scene, there is like a gag about how terrible the place mm-hmm. is. But obviously, we'll get to that once we get to it. Uh, this is where they set up the ticking clock as well, because. You know, they go to find out where Zoltar is. They figure out the right de- department at the at the city. Uh, so, you know, there's a bit of commentary about red tape, you know, going on here. And it's going to take six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they pay for the information and they say, we'll get it back to you in six weeks with like a list of, you know, where it's been or whatever. Um, and then, you know, this is where they kind of have to come up with a plan. And it's like, well... You know what? What can we do? You know, you're gonna have to make you have to make some money. You're gonna have to get a job. Um, and I like that they kind of go to an ice cream shop and they start like job hunting and they start reading out like stuff that they can do. And they happen upon Macmillan toys and some computer data entry. And of course, as a child, you're like, what you do in like computer class is not <laughs> the same as computer data entry. But I like that he kind of sees the transferable skills. So he's you know he's already got that and he's like, yeah, you know, I can do that. Um, and then I obviously they go kind of. Billy kind of gave some pushback. It's like, you know, computers. He's like, yeah, sure. Like they're all about the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> you and, nerd. And, and of course they. Well, they obviously they set it up with a computer game that he's playing at the beginning as well. So, you know, it's uh, that's what you call a good script. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he you know he ends up kind of like taking the position or go, going for the interview, and this is when we meet. Um, Elizabeth Perkins, who, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what I can say about in this film, but she is so good. It's just kind of crazy. She should have got nominated for something um, for this role because, you know, she I like how she is kind of, you know, extreme, like almost completely always extremely angry. Like, this, like to start off with, she's she's basically just, you know, she has no time for anybody to mess her about. Um, and she comes in kind of complaining that her her like assistant is getting married and <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny there's a kind of there's an extended scene where you see like how um you know she kind of goes up to her assistant who's got this like kind of bridal share thing going on and she's like get back to work basically <laughs> she's she's not like a forgiving boss in any way um so i kind of like how she's going into hr to complain about how this person does no work and now she's getting married she's doing even less work um, and it's handy for Josh because this distracts the guy who's kind of like interviewing him, um, you know, because he's obviously got to attend to whatever Elizabeth Perkins is saying. And I like that Josh is kind of talking about how he's been doing computers for four years, you know, so he's got the experience. And <laughs> and then like when they get to like his um, his social security and they're like, oh, you've missed off a couple of numbers. And then he just he just kind of gives him. What does he say? Does he say like twelve or something? Um, yeah, he goes twelve. It, yeah, which is obviously his age. So he just he just adds it onto the onto the the locker combination that Billy gave him. Um, but I, I like as well how the guy doesn't even kind of question it because he's been distracted by the fact that Susan has come in and now he's got to deal with Susan. Um, and so you know, I the best thing about like this that. is Susan comes in and she intimates that she wants to have her assistant fired. Oh yeah, and she leaves. And the guy who looks at Josh and goes, so when can you start? 
And to me, the implication there is you're going to take the job of the assistant. So <laughs> yeah. since it's been so long since I'd seen this, I assumed that then we were going to cut to him as her assistant. But nope, he's just in data entry with John Lovitz <laughs> when we when we cut back to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I, what I love about this as well is like, you know, John Lovitz is, I, I mean, I'm, I have to assume that role was maybe a little bit bigger because he's in like a couple of scenes and he's quite memorable in them. Uh, and by memorable, I mean extremely sleazy. Um, and so yeah, because he's John Lovitz. Well, yeah, obviously, should go without saying, but I felt like I should clarify for listeners. Um, and I kind of, I kind of <laughs> like how you know Josh is like <laughs> he's do, he's doing too much work, like he's like going through like whatever they've given him, he's like he's rattling through it, like so he was <clears> he wasn't lying, he had the experience, obviously, um, because obviously if you're a kid and you're trying to get something done, you want to get the assignment done as quickly as possible because that's how kids think, you know, like. And so I like that he's got that kind of kid mentality of like, I've got to get this done, you know, you know, for whatever, for the grade, for, you know, he, he that's obviously in his mind. And then John Lovis is like, hey, 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 slow it down. Like, stop working so quickly. Otherwise, everybody else will have to work quickly. Um, and I think that is a perfect kind of commentary on, you know, workplace productivity. It's just the fact that immediately John Lovis is like, don't work too quick. And then I like how when Josh does that, he literally kind of slowly types like moving his hands slowly instead of like just you know maybe taking a break between whatever he's doing you know he kind of he he literally slows his own body down and it's just such a funny moment from Tom Hanks where he's like slowly moving his finger down to type the thing just because that's that's how he's interpreted it um but again it's such a wonderful it's detail. Uh, I've I've on occasion had to teach computer science I don't like doing it and uh for if any of the kids who have uh, experienced me teaching on computer science happen to be listening to this. That's right. I didn't enjoy that class. <laughs> but um, as we were, as I was teaching it, you'd, you'd come to stuff like filling in forms and stuff online. And as an adult, when you're doing those things, they, even though they're standard forms, they can kind of feel a little bit awkward. Kids, even the first time they do it, once they get given the instruction, fill in all of the boxes done it's done yeah. like they literally fly through those things so much faster than any adult even an adult who is good at that stuff even somebody who's done 50 of them you'd still take the time to make sure you're not making a mistake and to make sure everything's in the right spot and oh did i do this correctly kids just go well the box says here age so i put an age in there and they move on to the next one and they're just so quick and that's what he's like you can see yeah. him just sitting there going well they want these numbers in these slots and he's just banging in the numbers and it, I think it's a brilliant scene because like that's the way kids do stuff. They they get a task and they're like, right, I'm going to do this task as fast as I possibly can. And then if it's a in a classroom situation, they put their hand up to let you know that they're done. Look at me. Look at how good I am. I'm the best kid in class. <laughs> so that's what Josh is at work. And as we all know, nobody wants to be that guy at work. No. You want to be you know, taking your time. And John Lovitz also doesn't want to have to work as quick as Josh. So obviously it's in his interest to slow Josh down. <laughs> uh but yeah and you know we we kind of we get like a, a bit of a kind of i wouldn't say it's a montage but obviously he calls his mother to kind of say that josh is doing okay because you know for the rest of the film he kind of takes this third person thing uh where he plays the role of the kidnappers um and i have to say it feels like that cold, that trail goes cold pretty quick like i you know we don't see his mother kind of trying to chase it up but i guess that's not what the film is about um and then, you know, he sings He sings a bit of memory, which I always enjoy, like Tom Hanks doing a bit of kind of like singing. Um, and then when he's at work, he bumps into Mr. McMillan, uh, along with John Hurd, R.I.P. And, and probably Robert Lozier, R.I.P. I don't know, is Robert Lozier still alive? Um, 
I think Robert Loja passed away, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and what I find is funny is obviously, you know, earlier in the film when he was talking with Billy, you know, they were talking about seeing someone's bra. That was like a big deal for 12-year-old boys. And now he runs into uh, Susan again and he can see her bra and he keeps trying to indicate to her that like, you know, do your top up a little bit. I can see your bra, but he doesn't want to say it out loud. And I do kind of like the way he kind of keeps looking at her and she doesn't get, she isn't picking up on what he's saying, you know, like kind of just Wait, kind of I don't, I don't, That's not how I read that scene at all, Darren. <laughs> I think he was just pervin. Well, I, I read it as he was trying to kind of help her, but you know, maybe that's, that's just a good in me. No. I think I'm John Lovitzing in here, yeah. and I think he was just—he was going for a look <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> I always feel he's trying to because he's, he's a fourteen-year-old boy or a twelve-year-old boy. Oh yeah, he's a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, but um, I thought he was trying to indicate to her, you know, do the button-up. But you—you insisted that he was basically taking a long look. I—I <laughs> I think he was just—I think he was just having having as much of a look as he was. Eric, you can yeah, be yeah, the, yeah, uh, he's definitely <laughs> the deal breaker, you know. Being that age and not having the internet, I'm sure uh, he's probably putting some good use to that. Yeah, there's definitely people listening at home going, "Darren has two sleaze bags <laughs> on the podcast." <laughs> um, yeah, so we get we get back in the hotel, and probably my favorite like kind of gag in the entire film, where he's watching something on TV that has gunshots. He turns it off, and then the gunshots continue. And that's, you know, that's how bad the area he is. And, you know, he obviously kind of, you know, huddles under the blankets because he, you know, doesn't want to get shot. Um, and then, you know, he he gets his paycheck. And uh, this is, I mean, obviously, this is a funny scene for adults because, like, you know, he get like, the, the, the male guy comes around, gives everybody paychecks, and he's, like, 100, he, like, exclaims $187 because, obviously, that's clearly more money than he's ever had. And John Lovitz is like, yeah, it's, it sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, I, I love the kind of, the two reactions instantly of, like, and then, of course, you know, he get, when he goes to the bank, it's just such, such a wonderful scene where he, like... <laughs> She's like, how do you how do you want the, the change? And he he has to confer with Billy. He's like, they kind of like step away and they kind of decide exactly how they're gonna have it. Um, and I think what did they decide on like five twenties and then like eighty ones or something? And it was, it was like a hundred dollar bill, a hundred dollar bill, yeah, yeah. and eighty ones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and, and then quarters. they start counting and then some out fifty cents and stuff like yeah, yeah. And they, they they start counting it out with the teller, which I just love that kind of that scene. And then that's obviously when they go and they go and like blow it all on food. Um, and then it's funny because like this whole scene with the with the meat and the food and everything, uh, apparently on set, like you know they just between um, themselves they were just kind of messing about and you know they had like the silly string and they started kind of playing about with it and doing all these kind of things or like throwing up and all that. And Penny Marshall was just like, let's just put that in the film. Cause that's really funny. Like what they're doing here, like just the kind of acting like kids together, you know? Um, and yeah, so this is probably when I was a kid, the first time I ever saw silly string. Cause I, you know, wasn't like a big thing over yeah. here when I was a kid. Um, and so I was like, what the hell is that? And also it's making a big mess and I'm not a fan of big messes. So, <laughs> I I, I kind of got anxious watching it, and I was like, "Oh God, it's gonna be so much to clean up." And thinking like, "What's the can?" It starts getting lower. <laughs> that you know, it starts spitting out stuff, and it's still longer just the string. And I, I mean, I, when I was a kid, and we had silly string, that was outside only. So yeah, obviously because you know my parents were smart enough not to let us mess up the house with silly string. <laughs> 
I think it's funny as well because it's like this hotel is so terrible. I don't think it really. I don't think anybody would really, really care if it's covered in silly string. Like, that's probably a step up in terms of the decor. Um, <laughs> At so. least he's not firing bullets like that's. <laughs> well, yeah. This episode continues in part two, releasing tomorrow. <laughs>